king, an obsession. Journey into the world of Iskorda and travel along with the boy from that way as he embarks on a quest to return to the very depths of the nightmare that brought him through the white door. once more as we step through the white door. Welcome back to the strange and twisted world of Iskada. A realm of magic and mischief where our young hero finds himself in ever more perilous danger. Join us as we return to our tale of elves and assassins, and find our characters spread all about the region after the epic tidal wave that split them apart. Now, Chapter 10, In a Hole Far Away. There is something to be said about how it feels to be pulled from unconsciousness. Eisen's mind floated here and there, randomly disappearing and reappearing every so often. It felt to the boy like a dream without pictures or sound. It was like walking around inside the emptiness of one's own mind. Almost as if someone had turned out all the lights, and yet Eisen could see himself perfectly. He held his hands up in front of him and waved them a few times. They glowed a bit, leaving pale tracers in their paths. Something wet and cold touched him on the cheek. A voice came from somewhere far off, saying his name over and over, a few times. It sounded light and hollower than the room itself, and very, very far away. Yes, yes, come now, let's wake up. The boy could feel the wetness now periodically on his cheeks, forehead and neck. It was like he was sharing a face with someone else. Furthermore, he somehow knew it to be a washcloth that was touching his face. This was especially strange to him as he saw nothing except the same blackness that he had been stumbling about in for, well, as long as he had. After blinking in and out of existence a few more times, the boy began to get quite sleepy and sprawled out on what he could only guess to be the ground. Each stroke of the washcloth seemed to lull him further and further into this tiredness among the black. The water was warm now, and it came with softest beckonings, rhythms. Here, a woman's voice, matching the strokes of the washcloth, it weighed heavy, heavy on Eisen's eyelids. He smiled and closed them. Everything got loud suddenly, and someone turned on a light, a bright light. Isaac could tell because the blackness behind his eyelids had turned a shade of red. So he opened them to a most beautiful scene. There, about three inches from his face, was the most beautiful girl that he had ever seen in his life. Her soft skin wrapped around her sparkling eyes and those beckoning lips. Her hair hung down between them like a silk veil, hiding the fullness of her features. He blinked a few more times, still seeing the redness of her lips behind his eyelids. He had once been knocked out while playing ball and had awoken to the sight of his grandmother appearing over him. He thought he liked this much better. Ah, you're awake. A man's voice sliced through the fogginess and confusion in Eisen's mind. Nothing could ever make him forget that voice. For it always carried with it fear and the chance of death. Or worse, this was his gold after all. It was significant enough to pull Eisen's attention from the delicious nurse standing over him to a man in the corner of the room. 
His top hat nearly brushed the ceiling as he stepped forward. The woman took a small tray from the bedside table and left the room. You saved my life, boy, and for that I thank you, Mantic said with tenderness to his voice. Isaac could feel the fear on his own face. It always had that white-hot feel to it. He waited for Mantic's murderous smirk, or for him to withdraw a shiny dagger from the vest and end all of this. Looking him in the face, however, showed a softness and even a bit of exhaustion. Either way, Eisen saw not the sadistic glint he had before. The man sparkling eyes. What do you want? Where's the rest of you? The boy blurted. Mandy looked down at himself, even holding his arms out in front of him and checking them thoroughly. He then went to patting himself randomly from pocket to pocket. It reminded Eisen of the way his father would pat himself down in an attempt to find a lighter or some lost keys. He actually laughed a little. Well, I seem to be all here. Me, and only me. No, not just you. The Jeldur, Eisen said, half expecting Slendari to step out from behind a concealed spot and say something devilishly evil or witty, no doubt. Instead, nothing happened. I don't know, and I haven't known for quite some time. To be honest, I really have not even gone to look for them. You saved my life, boy, and now I owe you. Eisen watched the man bow with a great swoop of his top hat and thought about Palisare and the Pixies, whose lives he had once also saved. Slendari was furious. Not only had he awoke to find himself in an oversized birdcage, but he had done so with an ace of spades stuck to his forehead. The card was definitely one of Mannix, as it was red and accented with several spiders. Sundari hated magic tricks, especially Mannix. Something about the way he could never figure them out really cut to the core of the elf, but he would never admit such a thing. Not even to himself. Taking in the rest of the room, the elf could see it was a decent-sized cave which had been decorated poorly with some woolly, oversized furniture and other knick-knacks and crooked shelves on the walls. Everything seemed to be made of the same short, wiry brownish wool or flattened wood. The entire decor of the room seemed to either be broken or hanging on from dear life and losing respectively. A thick smell of mildew accepted dampness in the cave air and it hit Slendari in a wave capable of passing a man out and almost an elf too. His attention turned to the cage door which was fastened tightly with a few chains and a large iron padlock. A very large iron padlock. He immediately noticed that the lock's keyhole was big enough for him to stick his hand in, in fact. He smiled as a plan sprouted in his head. However, a few seconds later revealed the inside of the padlock to be filled with a tiny breed of malicious little wobbles, who each had four rows of bone-ripping teeth, snapping and crying out, Keys! The keys! The keys! Sundar hated himself for only being able to disappear and reappear in the exact same spot. Comfortable! A loud voice boomed from an especially furry couch, patches of gray and brown moving with the voice. Sundari hadn't even noticed the giant seated on the couch, and his clothes were of such very similar fuzzy brown wool as the couch that he blended right in. It matched almost perfectly, and he wondered if it couldn't be from the same animal. Nonetheless, the cage elf was surprised he had not noticed the 12-foot-tall man, and would have said to anyone with an earshot that he knew the giant was there all along. Since it was just he and the giants, Thundari knew that the truth would be stored to them forever. To answer your question, I am quite the opposite, actually, and perhaps a touch befuddled. 
The giant that lifted himself from the couch would Slendar's reply fresh on his ear. He laughed hard, which echoed and shook the entire cave. A few small stones fell from the ceiling as the giant walked over to a hanging cage and corrected it, then over to Slendar's cage, peering at it in deeply straight to the elf sides, which for all intents and purposes was looking quite unafraid. Slendar now found himself face to face with a snow giant who introduced himself as Chester Frozen Thaws. Demand you free me from this cage this instant. Right, you can't do that. Do you know who I am? No, sir. Not that I can recall. Have you ever heard of the Jilders, you cloud scraping buffoon? Can't say that I have, little elf buddy. I'm not your buddy. What you want to be. Well, what I want to be is on my way. Well, I can't do that. I told you already. Don't you listen with those big pointy ears? It's nothing personal. You figured you could catch all, all the sound from my mouth. Especially being as big as it is. I am a giant after all. Giant mouth and giant ears. I, what's the problem? I have a bit of indigestion. The elf looked puzzling at the giant. Indigestion? As Sundari said this, he got the sinking sensation that things were much worse than he first expected. Aizen was still tense, but he could see the look on Mantic's face and feel the sincerity in his voice. Mantic looked like his spirit had been broken. In fact, the more Mantic spoke, the more Aizen found it harder to see that malicious nature that had once been one of the loot player's most defining traits. What are you talking about? Wait, where are we? Okay, what's going on? Aizen demanded, feeling a second wave of confusion begin to wash over him. This one with the lights fully on. We're in Foxhole Manor. A few hundred miles north of Akinar Buckport, Manic said as he sat down, rather plopped, into a nearby chair. Eisen looked around the decently furnished room. This is the most lavish foxhole I've ever seen. Must be a big fox. No, 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 no. Not a foxhole. It's the name of the place, Foxhole Monastery. Apparently this is where the beautiful, these nurses you've seen, are trained to care for the sick. You see, Headmaster Valdo teaches these restorative arts only to those who meet his strict guidelines and demands, most of which lie, I'm guessing, somewhere between strict faith and these beautiful corsets. Faith and corsets, they go well together. Eisen felt restored, but not as much as he planned to be. As far as what I spoke of before, of you saving me, the Headmaster assured me that when they found us, you were carrying me on your back in some sort of a trance. Eisen tried to remember, but could only taste the salt water of his mind. I don't remember that. Neither do I, but the headmaster insisted it's truth, and, well, he is quite the pious one. Well, we are in a monastery. Lies grow everywhere, boy. Even under the roof in the house of God. The houses of gods or gods. How long have I been out? About four days. Four days! Eisen threw back the sheets and leapt from the bed. The floor felt cold on his feet, which had grown sensitive in their time of not being used. As soon as his body weight shifted from the bed to his feet, he fell down and experienced the cold of the floor all over. A great heap of underwear and weak muscles, Manic's laughter came from somewhere, and Eisen could not see him for it. The man came over and helped the boy up and put him back in his bed. When he grabbed him, Eisen could feel the chills all down his spine, jumping, dancing. The 
boy could also smell Norgie's smokiness as he propped himself against the bed. The man who was once trying to kill him was now fluffing up his pillow and taking care of him. Banting even went so far as to tuck the boy in, covers up. Still might kill you, you know, the man said, smiling deeply. What? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on these trees. I had never been more confused, and the seeds of fear had been replanted. The giant grabbed his stomach and made a sour face, exposing brown teeth, a few which were broken. Chester walked back over to the couch and plopped down in a manner that could only be described as pure legendary. The entire floor of the cave shook, and Slendari had to hold on to the bars of his cage to keep from flopping all over. A picture fell from the wall, its glass shattering all about the cold stone floor. Yes, sir, Chester grumbled. Got me a bad case of the stomach nuts, he said as he propped his feet up on one end of the couch. The giant rested his giant head on a giant pillow that was nasty and looked like someone just killed a rodent and stuffed it immediately. Chester's hair looked to be not much better off. What's that have to do with me? And how did I get here? The elf hissed. Eh, I found ye all waterlogged a few miles down the beach. Perfect, really, I thought, chuckled the giant. Why why is that perfect? The giant ignored the question, but just kept talking. You see, little pony is, I used to run a nice little job up here in these mountains. There was an old hag who lived in the woods on the other side of this rock. That old woman had a taste for boys and girls. By that, I mean she loved to eat them. So being the great trapper that I am, I decided to start capturing these children as often as I could. Don't you know that old witch was a wizard in the ways of delectables and delicate sweets and bacon and icings? Hell, she even lived in a house made right for all this stuff. Icing on the roof, tops, everything, gingerbread doors. Matter of fact, had a front door made out of chocolate sweet bread. It did right there. Yes, sir, right there over in Cecil Forest. Anyway, so I brings a nice young boy or girl, and she would gladly trade me piles of sweets and candies, delectable goods. Now, I got nothing against the children of the forest, the land, and the towns, but if you'd have tasted just one bite of this woman's chocolate chip cookies, ooh, hey, you know right where I'm coming from. You steal yourself a young and just to dip them babies in some fresh yak-yak milk. Delicious. Chester sat up from the couch, and Slendari still looked puzzled. So... You're trading me for sugar cookies? Wish I could, Chester said over a rumbling stomach. Damn hag's nowhere to be found. I waited several days last time I caught myself a child from some passing nomads. Never saw her. Ended up just beating a poor boy to death with an old shoe of mine. So what's the deal then? Sundari said, wondering what exactly a kid getting hit with a giant shoe would look like. He thought about Eisen getting hit with a particularly big flip-flop. This explained the else wide smile in an otherwise dreary situation. Couldn't resist, friend. Once a week or so passed, I marched myself right down into the stream and ate up the old hag's whole house. And let me tell you, I never suspected windows and stairs to be so creamy and light. You ever tasted a nice attic or chimney rate of red strawberry sugar cubes? Chester was out up, swinging his arms widely about the cave as he told the story. The shine in the giant's eye definitely convinced Lindari that he indeed loved sweets as much as his words of blood. He felt like he was watching a 12-foot-tall child, and for the most part, he was right. Even the old woman's chamber pot was made from a golden-glazed honeycomb. Lindari screwed his face up and asked Chester if he had eaten the chamber pot, though he already knew the answer. 
Hell yes, little elf. Wants a little piss and poop to some honeycomb. Did you say poop just now? I did. Okay, look, I don't get why I'm here. If this hag is gone and you yourselves do not eat people and you're capturing kids, then why are you keeping me here? Slendari said this, placing a hand tightly around the bars and clanking the padlock a little. Indigestion! I told you earlier. This time the giant sounded a little bit annoyed as he moved into the next room. The trees? Yeah, the Abandu trees, Manic explained. They're supposed to be wise beyond their rings. The headmaster said that they spoke of our arrival and that we should speak with them together before we do anything else. I've heard of these sage trees all my life, but to think that I have been spoken of by them and can speak to them? Mantic looked boyishly excited and first positive emotion that eyes hadn't really seen in what felt like a very long time, especially from such a killer. So then wait, why are you maybe killing me again? Trees? Well, I mean, they might tell me to, Manic responded matter-of-factly. Well, aren't they good, the boy replied. Ah, but not all that is wise is good. Manic gave the boy a light smile. Is this a trap? I'm starting to feel like this is a trap. Isaac asked this, his right eyebrow rose in curiosity. Manic laughed and even slapped his knee a couple times. Isaac didn't know people actually did this, and never seen it before. The fact that it was Manic made it a little funny. No, my boy. Besides, if it was a trap, I wouldn't tell you. Mantic was getting the greatest kick out of messing with the boy. Just then, there was a rapping at the door before a busty lady came into the room carrying a tray. Isaac could smell the savory flavors of the food, but found himself staring through the steam wafting from the contents of the tray. Even though it was a completely different woman, she had the same otherworldly glow as the one before with the washcloth. Isaac caught a quick view above and below the corset as she placed the tray in the morning. Eat up, she had said, closing the door behind her. Isaac turned to Manic to ask him a question. The man was already smiling. Yes, and no, it's not a coincidence. Listen, kid, we picked one hell of a place to land. Isaac inquired about the headmaster, who seemed to have more than just healing the sick on his brain. It seemed that at least from what Manic had told the boy, the old wizard had taken to only teaching his ancient ways to curvaceous women. He told the boy that other than the two of them, Baldo was the only man within the entire monastery grounds and possibly for miles. It was a veritable fortress of concubines, fit with bandages and healing potions. Well, salves, sure, more than just for healing. After a few days, your strength will come back to you. Once you regain your composure, we will go and hear what the Abandu trees have to say. Mantic set his eyes and attacked the bowl of soup like a star vagrant. Hopefully you don't feel the same way about me as your elf friend, Eisen said through 10-15 bites. We were never friends, said Mantic sternly as he shuffled a deck of cards. He threw them lightly in the air, the deck landing soundly on his right shoulder. Mantic paused for a second, looked at the boy, and then popped his shoulder up suddenly. The card slid down his arm like a snake, collecting in a full deck in the palm of his hand. He fanned them out in front of the boy. Pick one. Eisen looked at the cards for a moment. It felt odd to him that a man who once had a mind to kill him and was tracking him down was now showing him a magic card trick. But he was alive and so picked out a card. Remember it, Mantic added, sucking the card from the boy's hand as if his hand were a vacuum back into the deck. Mantic stood up and slammed the deck down on the table as hard as he could. A few candles flew in the air and onto the floor, which was 
all right with the candles because they had spent many nights looking out the window wishing that they could fly. Your card. It's going to be the only one not here, Bennick said to an astonished eyes and they spread the deck out onto the table. Somewhere far away, Slendari cursed Bennick's name as the elf had woken to find an ace of spades tucked to his forehead. After the card trick, Isaac noticed that Manic was in an almost chipper mood. Cheerful, definitely. Nonetheless, the man was being quite caring. Try to walk some and make sure to eat and get your liquids, he would say. The boy was almost getting sick of Manic, actually whistling and whipping off his top hat in great sweeps in style with smiles. As happy as he ever was murderous. The boy sat back and let his thoughts catch up to recent events that had come to pass since waking up in this holiest of peep shows they called Foxhole Monastery. He could remember watching the massive wave reaching for the sky and casting a great shadow on the beach. Time froze when the wave hit its peak and Isaac could remember nothing, anything beyond that. Wait, the tailor? The boy thought about the tailor for the first time and it spread like a light smile across his face, more and more and more, then like a flame across his mind. In front of a backdrop of the most luscious purple, thoughts of the tailor danced in his mind. He hoped the man was all right, and Pearly too. Isaac thought she was most creepy, but nothing about her drove fear into his heart. Just plain creepy. Creeptastic, even. Manic coughed, snapping the boy back to reality. Isaac only hoped the rest of the jellers were not as fortunate as the man with the unusually tall top hat. A while later, a third woman came to take Isaac's dinner tray away and put fresh clothes out for him. Green pants and tunic with a small waistcoat and leather sash. Garb more aligned with what the wearings of the people in his Golda had on than his own people in Bailey's Arcta. They were set across the foot of his bed. The apostle was wearing scarcely more than a few strips of white linen and a silver pendant. I started to understand why the headmaster had chosen these students. He knew he was feeling better from this kind of medicine already. So what does indigestion have to do with me? Look, I'm no sage. I'm no doctor. I'm an elf. We don't get indigestion. What you need is some parent root. That usually does the trick. So I remember from studies, the elf said, pretending to sound helpful. Eh, they don't grow up here in the mountains. Heck, Foxhole would be the closest I could get my hands on some. You think they would just up and give some giant a handful from the cupboard? Though, I wouldn't mind getting a handful of some of that stuff that Voldo's gotten, if you know what I mean, that helpful staff. The giant stood from the couch, walking over to the far side of the cave, which contained many cooking implements including a great fire pit. Slendari watched Chester pick out a very large pot and then fill it with crystal clear mountain water. Minutes found the hot pot and water boiling over a strong fire. Slendari was starting to get the suspicion that Chester was maybe going to eat him. Visions of being gnawed on, still alive and screaming, raced through the elf's mind. His eyes went from the boiling water to the giant's face and back again. No, 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 no. It wasn't going to end this way. The giant threw in a few ears of corn. Slendari King hated corn. It was then that he noticed an exquisite violin among the burning logs under the bubbling pot. Violin's magic had left it unscathed, as perfect as the day it was crafted, which was Judzu 2174. So for you, that'd be like March 21st, 4000 BC. Are you going to eat me? The elf finally asked Riley. No! Chester as he stirred the steaming water and floating vegetables. Slendari sighed. Well, that's a relief. Just your heart, my pony friend. Just your heart. What? What? No. Hey, hey, hey. Come on now. 
we we just started being friends and friends let me tell you friends don't eat uh, each other's hearts calm down boy it's just an expression what eating someone's heart is an expression no 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 I'm, I'm gonna eat your heart I mean calling your friend we're not really friends it's just like a saying you know Besides, Elfhart is the perfect remedy for stomach troubles for giants. Any well-respected member of Dundlewig's Alchemy Society for giants and troll folk can tell you that, lad. And I've been a member since age 2000. Sundari was not smiling. What was making it worse is that he actually kind of remembered reading somewhere that Elfhart was a perfect remedy for curing giant indigestion. He had to get out of here. Especially if he's ever going to catch up with Aizen and please King Reagmar. A plan seeped his way into his mind when Chester approached the cage, and with a rope, kindly asking the elf to tie it about his neck. The elf obliged and even double knotted the rope, trying to act as sullen as possible. Chester pulled on the rope, leading Slendari out of the cage and over to the cooking area near the fire. A table of stone held several piles of herbs and spices on its surface, many of which gave off strong scents. The giant began sprinkling these sort of spices on the elf and tossing the excess into the boiling pot. Slendari sneezed and rapid fire a few times when Chester sprinkled on what the elf knew to be dwarf heat pepper on his head. Too much? The giant asked kindly. Dwarf pepper. Just like everything else those bearded knee biters do, overdone and unnecessarily powerful. Brutish. During all this time, the elf had taken a few strategic steps towards the fire. His violin lay mere feet from him now. Closer. Closer. Chester grabbed him and rubbed an oniony oil on his hands and face. If you're going to eat my heart, wild spices and herbs all over. Chester laughed. They sink into the pores and get into the bloodstream. Why, in another five minutes or so, these spices will have pumped through your heart a couple of times. Mm -mm. Chester grabbed a handful of salt and knelt low in front of Slendari. The giant's hand was open flat and the elf saw his chance. With great gusto, he blew hard into the giant's hand, casting much of the salt into Chester's face and eyes. The giant stood up angrily, yelling and tugging the rope hard. The elf left in, leapt into action as soon as Chester pulled on the rope. Slendari disappeared with magic just as the rope was being pulled, a great puff of purple smoke. When he reappeared seconds later, Chester held the rope in its entirety. With a quick sidestep, the elf evaded Chester's half-blind flailing with a jump roll towards the fire. The violin was there. Once, twice, three times did Slendari tried to stick his hand into the fire, each time being blocked by the heat. Looking up, he could see that Chester was recovering from the salt and knew it wouldn't be long so the giant would be upon him. With a hard brace, the elf shot his arm, elbow deep, into the fire. His skin popped and the air smelled of burning skin. The elf pulled the unblemished violin from the flaming logs. As he rolled over, Chester was coming in, his large hands balled up in barrel-sized fists. The giant raised his hand above his head just as the sound of a sweet song filled the air. Chester fought it and swung a right hand down at the elf as hard as he could. Fist was so close to Slendari that by the time the hypnomancy magic of the violin took effect, the hair on Chester's knuckles tickled the elf's nose. Slendari slid from the would-be path of the punch, which was now set to hurtle into the firing pit and that boiling pot. Collecting himself and the rest of his gear from a nearby table, the elf set off from the cave. He was going to find Aizen and then search for the rest of the Jildurst. An epic blood-curling scream shook the mountains as Slendari passed through the mouth of the cave and out into the cold night air. He had much work to do if he was to bring his master the secrets carried by the boy. Flashes of Aizen's face taunted Slendari all the way down the mountain. He could feel magic in the breeze, the 
cool air sensitive to all his senses as he marched on. Foxhole Monastery's lights burned in the distance. With Mantic and Isn't paired up together and heading toward the all-knowing mystic trees, and the murderous elf now free and closely behind them. The tale of our young hero has taken on a distinct new path. Old enemies are friends, but even worse foes lurk and wait ahead. What will these trees say, and when will this all come to a head? Stay with us as we continue. The White Door. Next time, Chapter 11, Barking Up the Right Tree.